As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But you need to know how. Listen to my show, the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen online at www.kcaaradio.com. I always hear from our clients who hired another firm that they wish they'd hired DNA Financial first. Don't have regrets about your IRS tax case. Just hire the best in the first place. One owed $150,000 to the IRS and had spent thousands on another firm. We stopped the levies, negotiated a payment plan, and had their penalties forgiven. And while every case is different, we guarantee that we'll find your perfect resolution and get it done right. For a free consultation, call us at 866-201-0156. That's 866-201-0156. Then you can say, DNA DNA did right right by me. me. Miss something today, yesterday, last week? Check out our podcasts at www.kcaaradio.com. We leave no listener behind. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun.
your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. The Gospel of John, chapter 2. Beginning in verse 13, it says, The Scriptures tell us the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us of your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs. Notice that's the second time it's used in just a few verses, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you'd help us to have a better understanding when we say, this is my house, dear Lord, what you're talking about. We pray that you will give us deep conviction, dear Lord, and a zeal, a passion for you, O Lord. And that's what we're going to preach about this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, so Bill Hardwick, when I first moved to Van, he used to take me with him to Athens sometimes, to the cell barn. And How many of y'all ever been in a cell barn? A lot of you. Kind of a different smell there, isn't it? Kind of a different place. I had a buddy up in Oklahoma used to take me to sell barn, Bill Osborne. He was a Bill also. But when you go in there, the first thing you're going to notice is that the smell. It's pretty pungent, you know. You know, when we think about the temple, what do you think? The temple at Jerusalem. You know, the brilliant, wide, super clean. But one of the things we in our Western minds don't factor in are the animals. There would have been animal refuse. You would have heard this, the bleeding of sheep, uh, cattle. It would have sounded like a stockyard. Um, the scriptures say in verse 13, you magnify that because it was the Passover. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, Passover has a prophetic intention here when that's described, and we almost read through that, and it takes a lot away from the scene. The Hollywood scene, again, is a clean, squeaky clean, probably quiet, very reverent, but it wasn't. It would have been mass pandemonium with the animals. Josephus, a... Uh, first century Jewish historian was trying to convince Nero of, of the need of not slaughtering all of the Christians, he figured out a formula to just kind of generally estimate how many sheep are going to be slaughtered around the Passover. And conservative, this is wildly conservative estimates, were about 256,000 lambs were going to be slaughtered. Taking in, if you magnify the number of people and how much room they had, they would have went to the temple court where they would have slaughtered them. Now, yeah, let that go. Let that go. There was a little ceremony they went through where the entrails were taken out. They were salted. They were presented on the altar. Psalms 118 through 121, I believe it is, was quoted. So there's a little bit of procedure there. The next hundred, the next hundred. And this slaughtering went on during the Passover, 256,000 lambs. What do you think was going on there? Well, we forget that the Jewish religion, like our religion, was a blood religion. The economy has changed from the flesh of bulls and animals and goats and, the, and those things to the blood of our Savior, but it was a blood religion. So Passover has a very prophetic intention here. All this sacrificing going on, the, the temple and why everything, and it's all pointing to one thing. It's all pointing to one person. Do you know who that is? Jesus. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went to Jerusalem. You know, it's almost like being on a plane and somebody has a heart attack and there's a guy there with a white coat and he's got the stethoscope around his neck and you walk up next to a guy and say, gee, I wish we had a doctor in the house and this guy is standing. This is exactly what's happening here at the Passover. All of the ceremony, all of this slaughtering, all of those animals, that's a lot of animals. That's a lot of animals being slaughtered during the Passover at that time. And he goes to the temple. We see Passover's 
prophetic intention. And we goes to Passover, and he found in the temple those who were selling. I'm just going to stop right there. He doesn't go and find what he's anticipating to find. He finds something else that's going on there. And I have to kind of insert a point in here. See, apostasy has a perfect storm here. The law, which had been mixed with a long period of tradition that had been finally systemized and compartmentalized, was ripe for apostasy. What began to happen was this. It's a focus on the relationship that God desired, even in the Old Testament. All that was designed to point the focus towards God. It became more on the system. It became, and you know, it became more on what, on how we did it. It became more on the procedure. And every kind of faith, and even in the Christian faith, we are susceptible to that kind of systemization. We have to be careful. And every two or three months, four months or whatever, I'm going to say to Eric, say, hey, you need to change something up. Because I don't want us to get into a rut. I don't want us to get to a place, because a rut is just a grave with both ends kicked out. Amen? And, and so this systemization was taking place. Apostasy's perfect storm. Why do you say apostasy's perfect? Because everything that they were supposed to be looking for, remember the doctor on the plane? Guy's dying with a heart attack. Gee, I wish we had a doctor in the house. Well, everything about the Jews, the fact that they were the chosen people, everything screamed relationship with God and a paschal lamb that was going to save everyone. And guess what? The lamb just walked up. And his name was Jesus, and they missed him. They missed it. The disciples missed it. The crowds missed it. People missed that. Passover had a prophetic implication. But apostasy's perfect storm was in play. And Jesus comes... And he has a hopeful expectation. He found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated at the tables. And so he's going to have a reaction to this. The pilgrims who came to Jerusalem, what happened was this. These hundreds of thousands of people that came, they're a natural system of how, where are they going to get their animals from? Where are they going to get their doves? How much could you? All this stuff is recorded in minute detail. But what happened was the place that was supposed to point people towards God began, they, it became systemized to the point where now the money changers were there. You had people, it was like a carnival, it was like a circus. And so people were exchanging money. And then on another level was they were taking advantage of pilgrims, these people who were coming to Jerusalem to worship God and to see their lamb sacrificed. But the people took advantage of those who were coming to worship God. They began to basically rob them because they were at the carnival and the focus was completely lost on who it was supposed to be uh, upon. And he's expecting, he's looking for that. Let me ask you a question before we go on to the next point. You know, does God, what was, what is God, is God looking for faith? Is he looking for believers? Is he looking? I want to submit to you this morning that he is. You know, in Luke chapter 18, uh, the, the scriptures uh, talk about a, ju a judge, a lady, he gives, Jesus gives this example of a, man, a woman who goes to a judge over and over and over, and the judge says, well, not because, not because I'm afraid of any man, I'm a judge, but because she keeps hollering at me day and night, I'm going to go ahead and grant her her wish. And yet, will the Son of Man find such faith when he comes? So Jesus uses that example to describe that, that will God look, find that when he comes to, when he visits us? Will he find that kind of faith? Luke chapter 7 talks about a centurion, and Jesus is visit with, visiting with him, and about, in Luke chapter 7, about a, a servant of his that's about to die. And he says, no, master, I'm a centurion, and many come and go under my command, and I know they will. You just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. And the scriptures say that his servant was healed from that same service. And so Jesus says, but will I, that's such great faith, but will I find that kind of faith? Will the Son of Man find that kind of faith? And then one of my favorites that, that tells me that God is looking, he's, he's expecting something from us, uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, you know this verse where it talks about, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, I'm, I'm taking that passage, and I'm not taking it way out of context, but let me tell you something. That is a picture of Christ standing at the door of the church, the whole church, and he's standing on the outside. He's expecting to be let in, so he does expect something in this exchange when we talk about worship and when we talk about coming into his presence. And so we tend to focus on the next portion, which is that he's going, he's going to get upset. This is going to upset him. But what we lose in this text, 
and an attention that is not, I don't think, preached about or emphasized enough, is that when you come to church or you come to worship, God is looking for you. Not what you wear, not how much you make, not what one of your kids did last Friday night, you know, and you hope nobody knows. He's not looking for that. He's looking for you and a relationship for you. And if we're not careful as a New Testament church, we can make it about everything else and not about the fact that God is looking for you and we are looking for him. Somebody say amen. Boy, don't you want to go to that kind of church? Well, I do. I think I go to that kind of church. I mean, I think, we, I think people come here seeking an authentic relationship with the Lord Jesus. Well, the faithful son's reaction is about to bust loose here. Watch this. Verse 15. And he came and he made, rather, a scourge of cords, and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their, table, their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. <clears throat> and so most 18th, 19th century churches, since the Protestant Reformation, we have been very sensitive. Most churches are sensitive to what, what kind of business transactions take place on church parking lots or what we do in the sanctuary. And so we're, you know, we, we play with that a little bit when we're trying to raise money for camp or different things like this. But what you have to realize is we're talking about two different animals here. One of these animals we're talking about are, is a 2,000-year-old practice where they were robbing pilgrims trying to get to the temple. <clears throat> and so us trying to raise money for kids to go to camp, those are two different things. Now, they're, they're two, they really are because we're trying to furtherance of the gospel. Somebody please say amen because I don't know how else to explain it other than that, that that's as simple as I can get it. But Jesus was motivated and he was moved as a faithful as a faithful son. He drove, he poured, he overturned. He said in the Gospel of Mark, he said, stop. He would not let them pass through there. And uh, he's about to make a, 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 a grand statement here about what his father's house is about. I think that in a church, and I've seen this happen, that, uh, that God can shut things down. He can shut them down. I've been to churches where been out on the road and maybe visited a church somewhere and you walk in and say, whoa, I mean, you can feel it. There's nothing there. Or they've just had a, the Civil War, they just got rid of the suits, but they were civil blue and gray just last, last week. Something's happened. Have you ever done that? Walked into a room, felt the tension? God can shut a church down when we make it about something else besides him. And so that's why all of us have, are accountable to one another to watch our pride, watch our hurt feelings. You ever get your feelings hurt? At church or by somebody? I do. I mean, you ever get, you ever, something happen? Get over it. Get with it. Get over it. Put it under the blood of Christ. Keep moving forward. Get over it. Get with it. Forgive one another. Love one another. Just make your mind up that you're going to be committed to one another and don't stay in a constant state of hurt about something that happened because you can shut the whole thing down when we make worship about something else. The son's faithful, faithful reaction. Um, a couple of verses I want to share with you. Jesus is about to make a really neat statement here. In verse 16 when he says, And he began to teach him, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, a house for all nations? But you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this, and they began to seek him how they could destroy him. That's out of Mark 16. In, in our chapter, it says, And in those who were selling doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's a house of business. Both of these incidents come out of the Old Testament. One of them is out of Isaiah 56, where Isaiah said, "Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them a joyful and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer." So that's the verse that is being quoted there uh, by the Savior. That's out of Isaiah. And so one of the, there's three things that he says there. I'm going to bring them, I'm going to make them, and I'm going to accept them. I'm going to bring them to my holy mountain. I'm going to make them joyful in my Father's house. And what they bring, I'm going to make acceptable. So when we come into the presence of the Lord, on the positive side of this, one of the things, he's bringing you, he draws you. God draws you. If you're a Christian, he draws you to church. Please don't tell me, well, I'm, I worship out in the mountains, or I worship in the woods, and I get all of it. That, there's not, you can worship the Lord, but that's not how you were designed. You were designed for worship 
among a, con a congregation, among other believers. He wants us connected because the most vulnerable lamb is the lamb that lives out there on the fringe by his or herself. Satan's going to get that lamb. He's going to get that family. Well, we try, we, you know, we blow through there once every three, four, five, six weeks. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just telling you that God wants you committed to another group of believers. He brings you to his holy mouth. He brings you into his presence. He said, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. What is real joy? What is joy? Do you experience? I believe God teaches us. I believe he does in his, his program of discipleship in our lives. I believe he teaches us how to be joyful in his presence. He feels, he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he wells joy up within us as his followers, as his children, when we come to his house. I think that's what his desire is, his design is for us. He says, their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be acceptable to me on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer. He, bring, he makes acceptable what you bring to him. Well, verse 17 says, And disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So this was a characteristic. Jesus was so affronted by this. And what his actions so offended, so were so uh, magnanimous in that moment that everybody thought of the passage that said, for your, with, that it was written, For zeal, your house will consume me. Now, in that Old Testament economy, what's the Lord thinking about? Was it the temple? When we look back in the Old Testament and we look at the scriptures, and when we read the psalmist, was it the temple? Was it the stone? Was it the... Well, those aesthetically were pleasing. The songs I believe the priests sang were probably motivated, were probably spiritually motivated. But brothers and sisters, I'll stand on this. I still think that what it was, it was a broken and contrite heart which is a scripture that's what God's after. And whether we're talking about Solomon's temple and all of its glory, or one of the great cathedrals that's been built in, in uh, Europe, or at Pruitt Baptist Church right here in the state of Texas, I think God is after us in our heart. That's what he wants. And it's not about the building. And the zeal that we are supposed to uh, be able to be, to be expressive about, that Jesus had, is a zeal for God and a relationship with God. A passion for him. Let me give you four things that I think passion. We, we ought to develop in our passion for God and the things of God. Number one is in our minds, our hearts. I think Jesus had this passion for the Father that's being described here because of his mind. He had a perfect and a pure mind. When Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walketh around like a roaring lion. And let me tell you something, the first place he shows up is right between your ears. That's the first place. And a passion for God is developed first in your mind, in your heart, and the things of God. And so I think that a, a person who's passionate in their faith, number one, that passion is developed from their, from their heart. Secondly, I think there is a reckless focus. Have you met people who were insane with a hobby? And I'm not, I'm not going to start picking on different hobbies or whatever, but you know they were insane about one thing or another, and it consumes their life for a little bit. They, they, it's a season in their life, and they can't, all their money spent on it, you can't find it. So, well, where's so-and-so? Well, he's gone doing such and such, or she's doing this, you know. It's just a season. Hopefully, it's just a season. Well, listen, the best season you're ever going to experience in your life is a season of reckless focus on God. How many of you can remember or recollect times in your life where you were tuned in, and you were reading, and you were feeding, and it was like a river, and it stayed like that? For a good period of time. Listen, that's what the life that God desires for. That's the kind of passion in your mind, in your focus. But thirdly, let me tell you, it's in your it's in your commitment. What are you willing to commit to? Here's where we can really tell where our passion and our focus is. We see it in Christ for the in, the, in that temple setting. But what I see just being described here for us, because was Jesus committed? Yes, he was committed. Those 33 years of his life, committed to the, his ministry here on earth and the Father's service what are you committed to i'm just going to tell you something as a christian from christian to christian you're not going to be happy you're not going to be happy you're not going you're not going to experience the degree of success and i don't mean a, a, a physical sense i mean in a spiritual sense that you want to experience unless you are com a committed christian 
You can't just be a Christian. You have got to be a committed Christian. You've got, he, I mean, he's got to be the focus of your, your life. And this, I was actually going to say this illustration until, until just a little bit later, but you know, do you, have you ever seen boys and girls when they're, fi- when they're in those, those years and they're falling in love? Well, they're not worth it. You can't do anything with them. They're my, amen? They're crazy. You know, you older, some of you have forgotten, but you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you're in love or you think you're in love and you just act plumb goofy. Michael Kaiser was a kid who graduated a year ahead of me from Clara High School, and he and I were pretty good friends. And he was one of my he was one of my sane friends. All the rest of my friends were slap dab crazy. But Terry, this guy was a good guy. He went to he was going he went to the University of Oklahoma. He ended up working for the OSBI. Yeah, I mean he was a good guy. But his first year up there, he stayed in close contact with me. He says, "Mike, I've got you a scholarship to the University of Oklahoma." Oh, yeah. He said, we're going to both be Delta Chi's. Well, I mean, he, he, he had it all worked out, man. We were, had me a place up there. I was going to dorm with him. And I met this little long-haired girl. And she's not here this morning, so I'm going to tell on her. I mean, I just lost my mind. My parents, you know, they finally thought, oh, my, salvation has come. Somebody's going to take Michael and take him to Oklahoma, and maybe he will be normal when we get him back. And it was one of the hardest phone calls I had to make. I called Michael. He'd gotten me secured this scholarship through his fraternity. And I said, Michael, I'm not coming to OU in the fall. What? And I said, he said, it's that girl. It's that girl. It's Brenda Calhoun. It's that Brenda Ellis. I said, yeah. I said, we're gonna, I think we're going to get married. Man, you just met her a couple of months ago. He, I mean, he just, it, he, was, he was enraged that I did that. But you know what? Nothing doing. I met her in... Uh, Right at the beginning of 1981, in January, February, had our first date in March, and by September we were married and the ride was on. Hey, listen, your relationship with the Lord should be like that. That you were kind of doing this through life, going, and you kind of thought you knew what you were going to do, and then you meet Jesus, and he becomes the new love and the new focus for your life and there's not anything you wouldn't give up there's not anything you wouldn't sacrifice that you wouldn't throw on the altar because you've got to have him you're going you've got to have him and that's what that parable that jesus talks about the field and a man found a treasure in it and he went and sold all that he had so he could get that treasure that's passion and i'm telling you that's what's missing in the church and i mean i'm not judging others because i know i miss it sometimes i miss that passion i have to rediscover it and it's not like you get it and you hold on to it and you're good you god wants us coming back to the well wants us coming back to his son we come back into relationship with him no we're not lost but listen we sure do get dry sometimes don't we the zeal of your house will consume me and the jews then said to him what signs do you show us for your authority to do these things. And so Jesus talks to him in verse 19 about destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And there's a lot of detail and think, and I'm just, it's a blessing I don't remember all this because I would bore you to death about what it took to build that temple 46 years, what historians say about it. But suffice it to say, no matter how long it took to build that temple, the greater miracle was that a dead man was dead and he was arose from the dead grave. Amen. And he was telling them, here's your sign, is whenever you put me in the ground, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to get back up. He talks verse 24 and 25. But Jesus said on his part, he was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men's hearts. He knew their hearts. And all these signs were going to happen. And, and the word signs is used extensively through the book of John. But the great, the great sign that was going to be Jesus was going to, of course, was going to die upon the cross and his father was going to resurrect him and he would overcome. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Death for our sakes. You have to look at what's going on at Passover. It was a massacre of blood. It's horrible. Death. It, I mean, the law was there, but there were animals being slaughtered. I mean, it kind of makes me a little bit sad. I mean, just thinking about those animals that were being killed. They were s- slaughtered in mass. Alan Stewart, who's a friend of mine. Some of you know Alan. Oh, wow. He told me a story one time about a guy who worked at Fort Worth Stockyard. Yes, we're going to begin and end with a stockyard illustration. And he was talked about over at the Fort Worth. He said, Brother Mike, you would not believe the number of animals and how they killed. And there's a little gun. There's a shoot gun they have, and you put a little 22 shell in there, and that shoot gun, they, they come through the shoot, and they kill, you kill your animal, and they keep it. Well, this one animal, a cow came through there, and she was crazy, mad, mad. And so she'd gotten away from the, the handlers and was running down through the stockyard. There were guys who were chasing her, and, I mean, it was, it was mass pandemonium. And this guy who had worked there for several years grabbed the gun out of the guy's hands, slapped, went up to, right up to that cow and, and stared that cow down. And that cow went, and he knew this animal well enough when that cow froze, boom, shot it in the head. And he says, I'm done, and walked out of there. He finally seen so much death and destruction in that slaughterhouse, and he killed his last, he said, I can't do it no more. And you know, really, if you think about it, that's what's going on in our world. There's death and destruction that's going on right now, but one man has come and finished it. One man's come and finished it. His name was Jesus. He says, that's it. I'm done. It's covered. You don't, nothing else has to die now. Because the last animal's been slaughtered, and his name was Jesus. And he was slaughtered for me, and he was slaughtered for you. We are involved in a blood religion, and it's, it's the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the blood that settles, and it ends it all. This morning, if you accept him, as your Lord and Savior. And if you're not burning with a white-hot passion for him, it's your fault. It's not his fault. He's always willing to fill you up with his spirit, to give you a heart that burns, to help you be committed, to help you be recklessly focused on God. He's willing to do that if you'll give him your life. And all God's people said. You're listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun. Open your Bibles to Amos chapter 3. This is a great passage tonight. I want you to think for a minute of some of the times. And, and tonight's group, you'll be able to relate to this. And I think this is difficult for our younger Christians and, and, and chronologically younger. I think it's hard for younger people. But uh, So when God spoke to you, a time when God spoke to you, in our relationship with the Lord, we try to develop that discipline of listening to the Lord, listening to his voice. How do you hear God's word? Now, I'm going to make this very personal for each of us as we go through the devotion. But look what it says, as Amos says in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Hear the word which the Lord has spoken, you sons of Israel, against the entire family which is brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do, do, do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Does a young lion growl in its den unless it has captured something? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there is no bait in it? Does a trap spring from the earth when it captures nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Surely the Lord does nothing. That's a very tricky verse, and we're going to talk about that. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets, 
A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. So one, there were several possible illustrations to open tonight's devotion up with about like if we had, if I had a phone, you know, that we were talking straight to God and I did that over to Juana's and I got them all scared. They were absolutely saying, what if I had a phone and the next person's voice was God? And, you know, they were just like this. And I said, well, guess what? You have that phone right here. When you pick up God's word, you study God's word. That's the voice of the Lord in his written scripture. Well, one of the ways that Israel had failed was they had not heard God's voice. He had spoken to them, but they had not responded. So there were some results from that. Number one, is look at verse one, it says, against. Hear this word, the Lord has spoken against you sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. If there's a New Testament parallel here in these first few verses, it's Romans chapter three. Uh, uh, yes, Romans chapter three, because Romans chapter one and Romans chapter two Two are condemnations of the Gentiles, which the Jews loved. Oh, boy, whenever Paul's letter in Romans chapter 1, yeah, the pagans, those guys don't know who God is. They're not covenant people. And, boy, they, you would have loved to have heard that first. But, but chapter 2 was about the Jew. And chapter 3 is a further confirmation that there's judgment on everybody. Everybody. This is my opening line in trying to lead somebody to the Lord. And whenever I have somebody and their heart's kind of tender and I can tell, you know, you know what I'm talking about, Ron. You think the Lord's working there. I go straight to chapter 3, Romans, because I say, well, listen, remember, Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned. Everybody, we're all in. And that kind of gives them a little bit of relief. Well, whatever this guy's talking about, it must be okay because we're all under the same, you know, you get, to, you get to the good part. But you have to understand it. What do you have to do, that? What do, you have to do with somebody who's addicted to drugs or alcohol? You have to admit you have a problem. What do, you, what do you have to do with a person to get them saved? You've got to get them lost. Something has to happen in their heart. We don't do that. We can't beat or coerce somebody into being saved. It has to be the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart. I can't convict somebody. I cannot convict somebody. I can persuade, and I believe the New Testament scriptures, talks, Paul talks about this all the time. He uses the word apologia, and he uses another Greek word I can't think of right now, but they both have to do with persuasion. But conviction of the heart comes by the light of the Holy Spirit. And when you don't hear that, he says, the Lord has spoken against you, you sons of Israel, against the entire family. Remember, he was from, he was from Judah, but he's come to Israel to speak. He comes to Israel to speak. So this is like the southerner going up to tell the Yankees about what your problems are. Okay, There was that kind of division at that particular time. And so the first couple of chapters, uh, there would have been all these condemnations that we've been preaching through against these other cities, these other nations. But here in chapter 3, he begins to, to en encompass the whole bunch He's of, of Israel and Judah. All of you, the family of God, the entire family. And then he uses this, which he brought up from the land of Egypt. And this is closely tied to verse 2. You only have I chosen among all the families of Israel the earth. So the voice is talking about, the voice that is speaking to them is talking about, number one, responsibility. Number two, it's a word against them. It's a judgment against them. And uh, one commentator talked about how that, um, that I was researching, talked about how that God's judgment against a particular person, thing, or nation, we may not always see that. But we liken it to when Israel was wanting a king. Y'all remember what happened in Samuel? Whenever he was wanting a king, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Give us a king so that we might be like other nations. We want to be like everybody else. So give us a king. And see, God was their king. The Lord was their king. If God's your king, you can't do better than that king. If God's your leader, you can't do better than that leader. He's the king of kings. But he says, okay, I'll give you one. And remember, they got uh, Saul. I forgot his name. Thank you so much. They got Saul, and he was he was he was a terrible. He had he took their men for the service, their daughters for perfumers, and um, uh, and he you know he was it was it was a disaster. Uh, it was a it was a disaster. I have this against you, and so that's the judgment. But God's judgments are always sure. They're always they're, it's a just judgment. Now I don't want to. I'm, I'm losing my point in my, my mind as I'm talking about this. But when God judges something, it's good judgment. It's an equal judgment. 
And um, this is the part of, we're going to talk about repentance in a moment, but this is where our society is struggling. Don't judge me. I don't care. Yeah, I can talk to you about religion, man, but don't judge me. Okay. Well, that's what they feel like. None of us wants to be judged. That's not a pleasant thing. But part of our relationship and how we met the Lord deals with judgment. And when, I, when God took me away and backed me up through the scriptures and through the witness of a faithful pastor, and he backed me up and he showed me my life, my life needed to be judged. Now, in my instance, in my case, well, yeah, Calhoun, you're, you were easily judged. You're, you're bad. I, now, I wasn't that bad. Well, guess what? You were too. You were too. If you've never done, if you've never done anything wrong, think you've never done anything wrong. We have all sinned. Remember Romans three twenty three. Romans three three twenty three. And the Tristan Church has struggled with this. You know, um, you want a testimony where you were saved at a young life and you served. And that's the testimony. That's the testimony. The testimony about I came into the church and I was smoldering and they had to put me out. That's not the good testimony. It lends itself to God's grace, but it's we're all under the same judgment so this voice it talks about responsibility and it's about god's judgment it's against you we need to remember that it's accurate and that it's important he says and why have they done this latter part of verse two therefore i will punish you for all your iniquities now when he talks about their iniquities the word that you want to remember there is it's likened to crookedness the word the hebrew word that's being used here is likened to to crookedness and so there it's this idea of a straight way a narrow way, but you have, you have perverted it. You've made it crooked. you made it crooked. And so why am I judging you, O oh, Israel and Judah? Well, it's because of your iniquities. It's because of the crookedness of your life. And remember, some of the, what were some of the injustices we had? They sold people, a person could be bought and sold for a pair of sandals. There was, a terrible, there was terrible slavery. There was usury going on. You remember the one, the one that broke my heart was that there were people that were coming laying down on garments that were pledged by other people. Remember, somebody would owe somebody else a debt. And so you would take a person's last robe they had to cover. They only had one garment. And then come lay down by the altar of God and say you were worshiping God. That hurt. That hurt me to think that happened. It was, there was widespread. But do we not do the same thing? Do we have things against people? And we take away, what do we take away from them? What do we rob them of in their humanity or their dignity or in forgiveness? That's one of the things that we hold back from people, isn't it? Forgiveness. And then we come to worship and act like everything's all right. What did Jesus say about that? That's a false worship. If you, you come to the, if you come to church and you find that you have something ought against you and your brother, leave your offering there at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. Make right. Be as right as you know how to be. None of us are ever going to be perfect, but be as right as you know how to be that you might worship. So the voice is talking about responsibility. Number one, that he's against you. Number two, it's judgment. It's always accurate. Number three, it's in, in, in the entirety of Israel and Judah. And fourth is for the iniquity or crookedness of these people. So what is needed here? One of the things that is needed here is, uh, one of the things that's needed here is repentance. They need to repent. Thank goodness for repentance. Thank goodness for repentance. What is repentance? Well, it just means being, you know, it means being sorry you got caught. I've done a lot of days where I, somehow or another I tricked my mom or dad or friends or teachers and I got away with it. Whew, I'm glad I didn't get caught. That's not repentance. That's you getting away with something. That's a false kind of repentance. Repentance is when you change your way of thinking. It means that you're walking one way and you stop and you turn around. You start walking the other way. But it's, it's a matter of the mind and the heart first. I want to share just a couple of scriptures. Don't lose your place there in uh, Amos. Um, one famous passage is out of Luke chapter 13, and this is one of my favorites. Luke, Luke 13 said, on the same occasion, there were those who were present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that those Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 uh, on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And one of the things that we need to remember <clears throat> about Jesus was that in the Gospel of Mark, it says Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom and repentance for people to turn. 
and we as I don't know if it's we as a denomination, Southern Baptist, but we as a society, and we in the process of our discipleship have got to train people, and we have to allow ourselves to be trained that, uh, and, and retrained in this, is that your repentance, your personal repentance, is, a, is, is a, the most primary concern to God. Uh, a lot of people do quarterback, Sunday morning quarterback, in regards to their, in their faith, because you come and you said, wash your... I wish my sister was here. She needs to hear this message. Well, that message is not for your sister. You're here this morning. It's for, it's for you. One of the pieces of advice I give or encouragements I give to young men who are in ministry is make sure that message has gone through you. As you've studied for that message, make sure God's dealt with you because you'll have these moments during the process of preaching where you don't want to be hit there, but you can be. You don't want to be hit there. You want to get right with as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. God, before you get to that pulpit and, and begin to preach a particular thing, let the sermon go through you. Let God deal with you about what it is you're going to tell other, other people about. So there's that passage there. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, And the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God desires for us all to have repentant hearts He's, he desires as a as a as a matter of lifestyle that we would allow the lord to break our hearts about certain things let's look at matthew 3 and verse 1 now in those days john the baptist came preaching in the wilderness of judea repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is the one that's preferred referred to by isaiah the prophet the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So Paul, Peter, uh, Luke's gospel talks about Jesus preaching on the subject of repentance. is critically important uh, uh, principle for us as Christians. The problem we have with this doctrine, as, we, uh, as I said earlier, is we separate ourselves from it. It's for somebody else. It's our, we don't allow, allow it to have its full... You know, we have a, y'all seen that Captain America probably commercial where he's got that shield and he guards him against everything. Well, we're like that a lot in our hearts. We, I think that we, in our hearts, when the Holy Spirit is trying to reach out there and, and it's coming into our mind and our thoughts and, and he's, he's, he's convicting us. We try, to, we try to shield us against that. Instead of embracing that and saying, I mean, and I'm just going to encourage you to, to talk out loud whenever the Lord begins to talk to you about something and say, yes, Lord. Just answer him. Just go ahead and answer him. Say, yes, Lord. Just tell him, yes, I hear, I hear you. Uh, has that ever happened to you? God brings something to mind where you'd hurt somebody's feelings or you'd said something you shouldn't have said or you, you were caught in something and, and you, I don't think about it. I don't want to think about that. You know, but and it's funny. When we are like that with the Lord, he won't talk to us about anything else but that thing that we need to deal with. Had a friend and they were involved in a particular sin that was over a many year period of time but do you understand the kind of hardness of heart that you have to do have in your heart to be able to do that to be involved in a sin over a prolonged period of time and not repent of that that's how israel that's how all the children of israel the children of judah got caught in their in their in their situation and so there's going to be a result of that look what it says in verse three do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment. This is talking about, this verse right here is talking about how that God wanted to be in harmony with them. I wanted to walk with you and us be in harmony about this, but we didn't. Because of the sins and the iniquity of the people, 
uh, we were separated in fellowship. And so this is, this is the good part. It's very difficult in chapter 3 to find some, the positive parts to be able to share. And I actually have to take th something they weren't doing and flip it so that I can make it a positive here because I want there to be some positive aspects to this particular chapter. But God's heart is, just like he, he doesn't desire that any should perish, but all should, but all should come to be repentance. You can liken that to verse 3. Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? Lest they're in agreement? Lest they're in fellowship? And so he's talking about the fellowship that he desires that they would enjoy. All through the history of Israel, he desired fellowship with them. He desired a relationship. He wanted to be their God. He wanted to be their king. And they fought him, fought him, fought him, fought him. Boy, I'm glad we don't do that. Oh, yes, we do. We, even with Jesus in our heart as Christians, born-again Christians with the Spirit of God, we fight him, don't we? Do two men make an appointment and walk together? Well, here's the result of that not listening to the voice of the Lord. These are kind of scary. Verse 4 says, Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Most Bible commentators agree that yes, he does. And this was a well-known fact. Have you ever heard, I've told this here at, at Pruitt, have you ever heard a lion roar? Like when he was mad? A roar, a roar. Whoa, I remember as a small child, it scarred me. I mean, that might be as why I'm as goofy as I am, Chris. But I remember leaning up against at a zoo, a fence, it was a double fence, so there was a fence, a barrier, another fence, and there was a male and a female line in there, and we were going, rawr, 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 and we were trying to make that line roar. We're here following that, that male line. He kind of turned his back to us. Rawr, rawr. We had our hands. I still remember. And he turned around and jumped up on his feet. And, and it froze us in fear, both of us. It paralyzed us. I'm, I'm not kidding. We both screamed. And everybody in the zoo could hear it. We made that, somebody was picking on that animal, tormenting that animal, and zookeepers came running, here come my parents. They thought that the thing was out. Well, I felt like he was out. I don't know, my memory is a little foggy here, but I think I had dry clothes on. But I'm telling you, I have never, I can remember that. We were little bitty, trying to make those lines roar. And God's saying this, does a, does, a lion, does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Listen, Israel, I'm coming for you. I'm coming. Can we not take that and apply it to America? Listen, America, I'm coming for you. You think you're mighty. You think you're great. You have provided all this wealth. You think it's your leaders who've done this? Oh, does a lion roar when it has no prey? Look at the letter part. Does a young lion growl from its den unless it's captured something? Commentators agree. Yes. Wherever he don't come near the cave because I've got my prey in here. What a hor horrific thought. God is telling Israel, his own people, I'm going to be like a lion who's dragged its prey up into, you think that's scary. Look at this next part right here. Um, that's, a, that's God's, that's God's uh, condemnation and the certainty of his judgment. Verse 5 talks about the certainty of the trap. Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there is no bait in it? Does a trap spring from the earth when it captures nothing at all? The, the principle here is that if you stay away from the trap, you're going to get caught. But the trap is designed so that you have to put something in it, and it snaps. And it's saying, I've told you what to do and what not to do. I've, I've beckoned you. I've tried to call you, O Israel, back to righteousness. And the trap is set, and you put your finger on the trigger. And it's snapped. It's got you. It has you. Oh, I hope, I hope it is not too late. I love our country. I hope it's not too late that the trap is set and it's going to spring. Verse uh, 6, if a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people tremble? Um, if, a, if calamity occurs in the city, has not the Lord done it? And so I have to address part of my theology here that sometimes may seem conflicted or, or ambiguous because I make the statement God does not do evil. And he says that. He's not the author of evil. But wh whose evil are you talking about? Or what situation are you talking about? What might look like evil to one person is actually God's justice to God. Is that possible? If the trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? You know, there are some judgments that come now, some of us from, and I, this is my fallout for this. 
I, I love my God. I'm concerned about his goodness. I'm concerned about his glory and how people per- perceive his glory, but I'm also concerned about his goodness. But is he a good God? Yes, and he doesn't cause evil. But listen, sometimes our sin brings evil on. And sometimes the sin of a nation brings evil upon itself. And so it's not God who's caused the evil. The people have caused the evil because they have, well, just the, the, the sacrifice of the children of, uh, their children to Molech. That's one of the most horrific things. I can't believe parents did that. But how, how can I throw stones in them? And this very thing is happening in our nation today. Are we, not, are we not being set up for judgment ourselves if calamity occurs in a city? Has not the Lord done it? Now, I, want to just, I want to be careful here, but I want to play with your imagination just a little bit. Think about some of the things that have happened the last few years, the last several years. Could it not have been our sin as a nation that has brought some of these things to pass? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's why repentance is so important. I, I don't want to have to see us in a, in a... I didn't see the first one, but I don't want to see America in a dust bowl. But it could happen. I guarantee it. I can see Dan Rather on the news, uh, whoever on the news telling, he says, you know, something's happened with weather. And they're projecting the next seven years, you know, uh, half the rain that we know. It could happen like that. Or war or pestilence. And we know that we have people around the nation, around the country, the world, that want to hurt us, could bring disease here. Uh, just because of some laws not be taken care of, I know that there are now outbreaks of measles. They're about to have one of the highest outbreaks of measles that the country's had like in 20 or 30 years. It can happen. It can happen. Verse 7 says, Surely... This all leads back to the Lord is speaking. Look at verse 7. Surely the Lord does nothing, and you have to catch the next phrase, unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants and the prophets. This is a direct call to Israel and Judah that God has spoken, and he's spoken through his prophets. And if you study the Old Testament enough, you know that they weren't always received. They weren't always received well. And they put them in wells. They killed some of them. You know, Jesus said that. They killed the prophets. God kept sending them prophets, 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 so that they could tell the people how, how, what they needed to do, and they would print, uh, repent. Now, in, in this new economy, in this new covenant we have with Jesus Christ, you're a priest, and you're prophets, and you get to speak, you get to, speak to the Lord directly. And I want to, Lord, please don't let me stand here, but I want to tell you all that uh, from the time I was called to ministry, I've also felt there is a, but there is a special gift that is given to men to preach to congregations, to preach to nations. Because, yes, we, God speaks to all of us individually in our personal relationship, but God speaks through his prophets. He speaks through his pastors and his preachers, men who've been called of God, ordained to ministry. The man of God was supposed to be a particular thing in a community, and he's not that anymore. And, and what used to be the top, at the top of the list, respected in this nation with firemen and uh, uh, policemen and lawyers and pastors is, now, is down at the bottom of the heap. And so our nation is not listening to, is not listening to the men of God who are preaching the word of God. And um, you, when, when, pro, when preachers preach, it can't be that your goal is to grow a big church. That is not your goal. Your goal as a pastor is to feed the people of God the word of God that they might know how to live so that they don't die spiritually. And my brothers, my brothers, oh my, they have, they have left that. I shouldn't tell you this story, but I'll tell you, we'll tell you anyway. I sat at South, Southwestern Theological Seminary and heard three or four young men, preacher boys, talking about where they were going, where they were going to go. We said, "Well, I, I applied for the Northwest. I said I'd take a church up there if somebody called me." Another guy said, "Well, you know, I said I wasn't going to I wasn't going to pastor one for less than this. It was several hundred thousand dollars." Heard that kind of stuff. And Preston, I looked over at everyone. I said, "Hey guys, come on." I said, "Hey guys," I said, "What?" I said, "I said you ought to be thanking God that you're." We, we have got to pray for the pastors, the missionaries, the prophets of God, 
Because just as Amos is describing here for us, we're in a situation right here. We need a faithful word from God about God and what God desires. And we need for people to listen to that word. Um, and you know, and you may, <laughs> this is hard to say, but you know, you may not, you may not particularly like the man of God. Now, what, what do you mean not like? Well, I mean, you know, people don't like the pastor for a lot of different reasons. He doesn't comb his hair right, or he wears white shirts instead of a suit on Sunday night. I mean, it could be anything. People for a myriad of different reasons. But listen, if, he's your, if it's your pastor, and, and Christian, don't you ever forget this. As you go through life, and whoever the man of God is in front of you, that's your pastor. And, and no matter what the shell looks like, because he's just a man too, but it's what he's preaching is what will make a difference in your life. Hearing the voice of God. We hear it through God's word. We hear it through our, in our prayer time through the Holy Spirit. And we hear it from the preaching of the man of God as he instructs his sheep and he gives them the word of life and they know how to live. Amen? You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that needs no mis- As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.